experience, some people like to listen to this at 1.25 speed and follow along in the text below the audio line. You also catch the footnotes that way. This is part one of an Oldies for Newbies series. If you are new to the P4B, then you are most welcome. I'm grateful to have you here. And the next paragraph <laughs> doesn't apply to you. I am less than pleased, to put it diplomatically, with the reaction this post gleaned when first posted several months ago. The infantile affront discussed in the main event below is now imminent. It didn't have to be. I broadcasted the warning. It vanished into the ether. As usual, if you want to support my work, I'll leave a bunch of buttons in the text below so you can grab P4B gear and all kinds of gifts and or decor. Welcome to the Political Party Pooper Playbook. And if you thought all we did was sit around thinking up ways to poop on empty suit politicians, well, you'd be half right. This is indeed the P4B. Welcome to the Political Party Pooper Playbook. I'm your host, Matt Jordan. Today we'll talk about the Taliban and the modern American left. Samey same. Our childish and uncivilized government. Now let's get on to some nutbaggery and some updates before we move to the main event. Do stay with us until the last segment. There is an evil thing being done under the holy writ of wokeness that will bring shame upon this nation. It is an intentional act of infantilization of our black citizens. In other words, it is an act of blatant racism. Never mind the emotional prose that perfume it. Let's start with the light stuff, then move to the idiotic, and then the critical. Golf update. I got in a quick nine holes at the four winds this week. Don't go there for a real round of golf for at least the next two years. It's a dump. They swear they're going to fix it. One can only hope. However, it was fine for my purposes. I just wanted to see if there is real-world progress in the things I'm working on, and there is. Now I need consistency. If I can beat any of my sons on the links in October, my life will gain new meaning. Golf clap. It's good to have Bill back. Before taking advice to dumb down my copy, I'm not saying that was bad advice. I labored to write in the style of those I recognized as my betters. My high school teachers, Jim McGrath and Wally Selfridge, might have been proud. The advice. I was told my style may have been making it difficult to attract readers. People evidently are intimidated by what my son called my wall of words. This, I was told, was the possible reason my bounce rate was so high. It was suggested I break up my paragraphs, even inappropriately, one or two sentences tops, right to a 14-year-old level. 
According to Office Word and WordPress, I was usually unsuccessful at the latter. I rarely got a score down to an 8th grade reading level. But I did break up the paragraphs and my bounce rate did go down. Thank you, Kenny. Getting the lazies. How my success led to decline. There was a time when I did all my lawn care with a walk-behind mower. At my previous house, an acre and a half, using that mower resulted in more than seven miles of walking. I finally picked up a John Deere. Man, life was good for about a month. Very quickly, I came to dread lawn work as much as I did when it took all day. By making the task easier, I became disproportionately lazy. And so it was with my writing. Writing in a simpler style, no longer seeking just the right word or phrase, it was easier to grind out 2,500 words. But after a time, complacency reared its comfortable head. I found the dumbed-down pieces just as dawning as the old style had been. We'll see if this week changes that. Among my small pantheon of literary heroes were George Will, Christopher Hitchens, Charles Krauthammer, and William F. Buckley. I have a wide range of styles and genres I enjoy, but these guys are the exemplars of good communication, in my opinion. In the late 80s, I happened across an audiobook, Right Reason, by William F. Buckley. It was on cassette tape, of course, about 120 minutes total. I wore both cassettes out. Before they actually broke, both were making hideous screeching sounds. The audio was actually a truncated version of the hardcover. I promised myself I would find the book. Decades would pass. There was always a, quote, reason not to grab one. The biggie was expense. Whenever I did search the book, it may be out of print, I just found it too expensive. I would tell myself, well, I have three books open now anyway. That excuse doesn't hold water. I always have several books open. Well, damn if I didn't trip over thrifty books last week. This is not a paid plug. I now have the hardback of Right Reason on my desk. It has made more fun to read because Buckley's meter and mannerisms are ingrained from listening to the tapes so many times 35 years ago. I hear him as I read, and there's four times the material in the book. Sadly, another thing that has suffered in my slouching toward mediocrity is my vocabulary. It used to be easy to keep up with these guys. Since acquiring my book, I am already keeping a highlighter next to me as I read. Buckley and the rest never dumbed down anything they wrote. What the fuck is a satyagraha? I'm not even sure of the pronunciation. I'll know when I finish the chapter and look up all the highlights. I didn't used to be this stupid, I swear. Well, hopefully you'll benefit from my good fortune. I really need to get off the intellectual riding mower and sharpen my rhetoric, but can I?
Robinware 456, where are you? I just blew the gaff on my advanced years with that heading. The media is shocked, sort of, to be reporting that Joe Biden used pseudonyms to communicate with the crackhead via email. That, like every other revelation involving the crackhead, we've all known for a long time. The MSM is now dripping old news out a little at a time because they can no longer cover for the puppet without looking even more ridiculous than they already do. Also, they are slowly laying the groundwork on behalf of the regime in case it becomes necessary to throw the puppet and the cackling hyena in the shit can. And yes, in these emails, the foreign shakedown business was discussed. But it reminded me of something we learned several years ago. In fact, while Barry O was still president, he, Obama, communicated regularly with B.J. Bill's wife on her illegal server to an illegal email address using his own pseudonym on a private account. No protection of information, just pretend names. So let's be specific. Hillary had an illegal, unsecured server at her house. She used it to illegally bypass the State Department computers and deprive the government of the obligatory record of her work on our behalf. The server was hacked at least twice. That's how the Podesta emails were leaked. Footnote 2. IT people at State Department repeatedly called for Mrs. Clinton to get off the illegal server and migrate her work onto the State Department servers. Or at least allow the government people to stig out her server and link it to the State Department servers. Footnote 3. She was repeatedly told that her activities were illegal. She refused. Finally, the IT people were told in clearly threatening terms that they were not to bother herself again about following the law. This likely came from Hummelwiener or Uma Abedin. Anyway, Hitlery's helper and plaything. During this time, B. Hussein knowingly communicated with his corrupt Secretary of State over that server. He used a fake name for that very reason. He knew she was operating illegally. She knew he knew. He knew she knew. And the media fluffers have known for years. Nothing to see here. When Congress learned about the illegal server while investigating Hillary for collecting foreign payoffs, much as Biden has while emulating her, her electronics and the contents therein were put under subpoena. Rather than abiding the subpoena, Hillary Ramrod Clinton destroyed all the incriminating messages she could find, there's a footnote, and then smashed her electronics. What a shitbag! Barry was obliged at that point to have her arrested for destroying evidence, but there was no way he was going to do that because he would have incriminated himself for participating in the crime. But now we learn that Barry's present meat puppet is doing the same thing, and the media is looking at it as if they'd found Bigfoot 
drinking Blue Label at the Gibson. In other puppet news, through the gaping hole running from the Gulf of Mexico to the Pacific, Joe Biden and his partners in the cartels are supplying America with all the unskilled labor illegal voters and fentanyl will need for years to come. But now we learn that Joe has new partners. Now, continuing to prove that Donald Trump was a big fat jerk for building the wall, Joe has representatives of ISIS escorting Uzbeki terrorists to our border and handing them off to the welcome wagon, which used to be our border security. A classic lefty shit show. When word got out, the National Security Council sprung into damage control mode. Speaking for the NSC, one Adrian Watson calmed all fears. Quote, The U.S. government has taken steps to identify all those whose entry to the United States was facilitated by this smuggling network and has utilized the full suite of law enforcement tools to assess such individuals to ensure that they do not pose ongoing public safety and national security concerns. Emphasis mine. Did you get that? The full suite. The total package. The whole enchilada. The fucking bucket load. Damn. And they might even identify these worthless bastards someday. The lumbering bureaucracy has no clue what's become of the terrorists. For some reason, deep down, I just feel like this would not have happened if Joe's puppet masters had simply not thrown open the border and instead finished the wall. Am I alone on this? Here's something else everyone knows. Your government, there's a footnote, mostly the left side of it, is now laying the groundwork for the next round of cheating. And they are getting cooperation from an unusual place. Over the weekend, the Reds announced that Barry Williamson would not be starting this week because he tested positive for COVID. What drama! They're putting restrictions on the clubhouse and testing feverishly. Forgive the pun. Understand, Williamson wasn't sick. But either in support of the new COVID propaganda or because they actually believe it, these people are testing for COVID again. Among the healthiest people on the planet, they are pretending that COVID is a threat. Yeah, I hear the whiners, but MJ, you don't understand. The new variant is so much more dangerous than the ones before it. There's a footnote. Right. So has every other variant been. Until we found out later, it really wasn't. It is rare that a virus gets stronger as it travels. They tend to get weaker. Some of the, quote, variants tend to disappear altogether or for long periods of time. The White House is all a Twitter about the COVID opportunity. Biden announced recently, as he did before the first mask mandate, that there would be no mask mandate. That's a lie, of course. We are weeks away from being told, oh my God, folks, this one is a humdinger. Get your face diaper. Social distancing is back. 
And here's the cheating part. Make sure you use mail-in balloting, ballot harvesting, and ballot dumpsters so you don't catch the Wuhan when you vote. Safety first. Going back to 2012, even before I outlined it in the book, I correctly pointed out that mass mail-in balloting was an invitation to cheat. It is entirely too subjective. While it is unavoidable in the case of those serving in the military and people who actually cannot make it to the polls, wholesale mail-in simply will be abused. Remember way back last week when I quoted RFK Jr.'s second rule of politics? If the government can abuse a power, it absolutely will. And so it is with too many fingers on too many ballots. If you think people handling tens of thousands of ballots, whose job it is to decide which ones get counted, are all honest and pure, you should run out and buy a timeshare. Think on it for just a few seconds. Mary is a ballot counter. We'll say she is a lifelong Democrat. She has been conditioned by her betters to believe the GOP are marauding baby eaters. Her job is to take someone else's vote franchise and pass judgment on it. Every state, at least as of 2022, had signature requirements for mail-in ballots. Mary comes across one that is unsigned, but it's for her favored candidate. Ah, well, Mary is sure... It was just an honest mistake on the part of the voter. We'll count that one. Later she sees one for a GOP candidate, also unsigned. For the horrible GOP guy. Well, we all know the GOP would burn your house down if they could. So hell no, we're not counting this cheating bastard. Perhaps there's a ballot with blanks where the voter didn't choose a favorite. Well, Mary, ever the helpful person, might think, the poor dear just forgot to check one here. I'll do that for the voter. When caught, the parties who were actually ignoring the rules just sought emergency consideration from the court to allow for unsigned signatures, late ballots, ballot grooming, etc. In too many cases, judges ignored existing laws and legislated new rules from the bench. The cheating was, quote, legitimized. And propagandists were then able to say it wasn't cheating anymore. But clearly it was. Oh, that stack of votes that were disqualified but were for the bad guys? Yeah, those weren't among the ones that were contested but were for the good guys. They all remained in the solidly rejected pile. Funny that. And that, friends and neighbors, is what this election year Wuhan flu scare is all about. It was as predictable as a sunrise. Big Pharma, owners and operators of many politicians in D.C., are happy about the new panic, of course. That's just a nice side benefit for them. They really want the party of endless mandates to win again. This particular reality is in itself worth mentioning. Jill Biden has been vaxxed and boosted several times. She's gotten COVID several times. Has it now? Harold Ford Jr., the true gentleman on the five, and other news programs, has been vaxxed and boosted a total of seven times. He has had COVID three times. But hey, 
A windfall for Big Pharma will not be left on the table. Be sure to wear your damp Petri dish on your face on your way to your next jab. Suckers. One of the most direct ways the P4B is supported is through Poe River Furniture and Yard Games. I won't get too specific about who runs Poe River, but he's really good looking and his initials are Matt Jordan. There are a number of one-of-a-kind pieces that I created, including very nice wine stoppers and what I call recycled palette art. There's also a huge selection of gifts that I designed and had made off-site. Occasionally, you will see yard games listed. That will depend on how often this podcast allows me to be in the shop. I'll leave a link or a button below so you can shop Poe River. And now, for the main event. I told Karen Hockenberry, an occasional guest here on the P4B, that this segment would be about the imbecilic wind project the retarded wing of the Democratic Party intends to build off the East Coast. I've spoken of it before and will again in two weeks' time. But this week, I will instead discuss something truly debased and stupid happening just outside our nation's capital. We are no better than the Taliban, but worse and more childish in fact. Quote, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and for his widow and his orphan, to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. End quote. Those are the words of Abraham Lincoln as the Civil War came to a close. He knew how important it would be that real and lasting rapprochement be achieved. He knew the terms North and South must quickly and always be simply geographic terms, not designation for opposing belligerents. He was not alone. The nation, much more civilized then than it is now, understood the need for true unity. Some truly amazing things occurred in this spirit. One interesting twist was the fate of Jefferson Davis. He was imprisoned in Fortress Monroe. His ankles were shackled and his cell lit 24-7. There's a footnote. But the disposition of his case seemed a prickly issue. I'll quote a piece by Clint Johnson directly. This is also footnoted. Quote, The legality of secession has been discussed but not litigated for decades. Charles O'Connor, the former chief prosecutor for the District of New York, put together a legal team of northern lawyers who were convinced Davis had done nothing illegal. None had any personal ties to Davis. All worked without compensation. On May 8, 1866, a year after the Johnson cabinet had received a report from its own team that Davis had done nothing justiciable, a U.S. prosecutor in Norfolk formally charged Davis with treason. 
Newspapers began to comment on the undesirability of trying Davis, particularly if a trial ended in acquittal. On May 13, 1867, three days past the second anniversary of his capture, Davis was released on $100,000 bail. Some of the money came from wealthy northern abolitionists. End quote. Emphasis mine. Here's the quiet part no one to this day wants to say out loud. Secession doesn't appear to be a crime. Hell, it was how our nation was born. Before the Civil War, New England threatened secession more than once. They made one threat during the War of 1812. Treason much. And always the threats were directly or indirectly about trade. I have posited in years past that the Civil War possibly had never needed to be fought. Indeed, there were people then who believed that letting the South go their own way would have been a temporary thing. Geographically, politically, economically, strategically, the South and North needed each other to survive. There was a school of thought that said the South would be back in the Union within years, less than a decade. We'll never know. But if the Davis case went to trial and he was acquitted by a jury, remember, a group of disinterested lawyers thought he should be, then blame for 80,000 dead Americans would have been laid squarely at Lincoln's feet. Davis received a presidential pardon, along with all other ex-Confederates, on Christmas Day, 1868. The Civil War was truly at an end. Confederate veterans who were young officers and enlisted men in the 1860s would go on to serve the United States in the Spanish-American War in 1898. Many would serve the U.S. loyally in Congress and other government posts. Every president after Grant would have reason to reiterate the joy and value of reunification all the way to Woodrow Wilson. By that time, we were more than a generation past punishing the South for the war. We honor the men who fought, not the politicians they fought under. It is axiomatic in our culture, indeed throughout Western history, to honor the bravery of the rank-and-file soldier and the professional officers whose main aim was to bring his men home alive. Victory was sought, of course, but losing men is rarely salved by the taking of objectives. It is an unassailable fact that the soldiers who fought for the Confederacy from 1861 to 1865 fought valiantly and under extremely harsh circumstances. Their resilience and guts are legend. We are told today that this is no longer important. In the National Defense Authorization Act of FY 2021, Congress, in a truly uncivilized bit of racial pandering, declared that all bases named for Confederates be changed. And so that has occurred. Never mind that these officers danced circles around Union generals for years, while the Union generals squandered tens of thousands of lives through their own incompetence and or gutlessness on the field of battle. Never mind that our nation still benefits from the lessons learned from these colonels and generals in military academies and war colleges throughout the services. But now Fort Bragg, one of our premier military facilities, 
is called Fort Liberty. Oh, how cute. Oh, how thoughtlessly vague. Supposedly, in keeping up with the intent of NDAA, FY21, and certainly to say, look, I played too. Persons at Arlington National Cemetery, with plenty of help from others seeking their 15 minutes, have decided to disinter the remains of Confederate soldiers from their present area, Area 16, a memorial to Confederate soldiers, and move them to another area, another memorial to Confederate soldiers. And in a nod of respect toward their exemplars, the Taliban, they will remove the sculpture that stands at the site today. Another blow struck for the unremembering of things. There are points to be argued here about guilty white liberalism and emotionally conflating small modern events with sweeping historical ones. But that will have to wait for a part two next week. But I will tender this one point for all to ponder. Perhaps a lawyer worth his salt would pick up on it. NDAA Fiscal Year 21 clearly states that monuments to those who served voluntarily in the Confederacy will be removed. Well, sir, the South had a rather brutal policy of conscription during the war. Is anyone going to tell me they know who, among the hundreds of soldiers affected, were volunteers or conscripts? I would contend they don't have enough information in that regard to justify disturbing a spade of dirt over those graves. In a civilized society, the question would never come up. It certainly wouldn't be raised as a question stemming from the death of someone like George Floyd or the behavior of belligerents on both sides of the Charlottesville incident. We are told by Arlington and the Washington Post that these are the catalysts for renaming bases, pulling down memorials, and desecrating the graves. In part two, we will discuss the memorial itself, the price of feel-good legislation, and racist pandering. Leave the memorial and those buried there alone. Send inquiries to poriverproductions at gmail.com.